cliffcentral.com. Good afternoon. You're tuned into the Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. My name is Kingsley Kipuri, and as usual, I'll be your host for the next hour. Joined in studio by my comrade, Greg Nicholson. How are you doing? Always good to be here, I'm once good. again. I'm still celebrating the world. I'm being full now. You're just washing your car, washing everything, drinking water at will. No, every drop counts. We still have to keep on saving. Come on. I'm sure you've been taking long showers. Pool parties. Just, I've got a slip inside set up right outside my house. Just right going now. outside, leaving the tap running. No, Kingsley. <laughs> The next, the next war will be fought over water, Jesus. not oil. That's, I'm sure that's credited to somebody, but we'll just let that go for now. Anyway, for today, we'll be talking about what's been, you know, the, the, the news story on every, you know, news site, newspaper for the past week, two weeks, three weeks is this issue of social grants. Um, social grants are the safety net provided by the state for some of the most vulnerable people in our society. So talk about the elderly, the disabled, those needing child support, um, people taking in, you know, those who are foster parents. And it's an absolutely essential state function. Um, and sadly, we're in a situation where a lot of people are raising a lot of questions around who gets to be an agent to, to disperse social grants, um, under what, under what, um, systems, regulations and framework can that be dispersed? What, what, Things do we need to put in place to make sure that these people are not being preyed upon or is there's no predatory lending or predatory marketing? And basically a lot of questions around uh, the legality and the frameworks around that. Um, so to about 17 million people around the country, um, that given our country's history and given our current state of inequality are marginalized in a lot of ways. So when he's spending the next hour talking about this in studio, I'm joined by Koketsu Moeti, who's the executive director of Amantla.mobi, a grassroots advocacy and activism organization. Koketsu, thank you for coming back. We've had you on before. Thanks for having me. Wonderful. Secondly, we have Nomonde Nyembe, who's attorney, who's an attorney at Vit Center for Applied Legal Studies and who's the lead attorney specifically on a case pertaining to this. Nomonde, thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me. Hi. Wonderful. Firstly, we'll actually be chatting to someone who's not in studio, who'll be joining us via Skype, who's Erin Torkelson, who's a PhD candidate at the UCLA Berkeley, um, who's worked extensively um, researching this and also worked, aside from that, uh, in Cape Town on land and housing rights and so on. Erin, uh, can you hear us okay? I can. Thanks for having me. Okay, wonderful. So, Erin, recently you wrote a, a, you know, a really in-depth and great article on Ground Up uh, that really detailed the history of, of the disbursement of social grants and, 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 and basically giving us a lot of much-needed context into how we got to where we are now. So I'd love to just talk through some of those things. Um, firstly, I'd just love to start you know, way back, which is, you know, so we're talking you know, pre-even the establishment uh, of the uh, you know, South African Social Security Agency and be, you know, before that, um, how did social grants and the disbursement of that, how did that used to work? Yeah, well, I'll give you a very speedy history. Yep. Social grants in South Africa has have been around uh, since colonialism, even under apartheid, but the system was raci racist and exclusionary. So in 1997, there was a white paper on social welfare that tried to develop ways of extending the social security program in South Africa to everyone. And how they first did this was they put the function under the Department of Social Development, but DSD paid out grants provincially. So each province set their own terms and conditions 
and had their own system. And this, they found, was still uneven and inequitable. Some provinces did well, others not so well. So in 2006, SASA was created to remedy this problem, and it inherited all these separate provincial-level contracts. And in 2006 and after, there was a situation where they had contracts with, with All Pay, which is a subsidiary of ABSA, CPS, our current provider, Empilwani, Sekulula, which is also related to ABSA, the banks, and the post office. So very hybrid system. And in 2011, they wanted a new single contract for a national grant payment system that reached everybody equally. And that's where we are today. Okay, I mean, so I suppose it makes sense that there would be um, a lot of inefficiencies with doing this provincially. Um, there seem to also be a lot of concerns around fraud um, and, and the fraud that may occur where, while this was being dispersed um, uh, provincially. Well, let me just say the fraud question is not actually related to the decentralization question. Okay. There are countries who have decentralized systems like Brazil, who perhaps don't have much fraud. Mm. But wherever there's a social grant program worldwide, you read World Bank publications, publications from India, all sorts of places, there's this concern that beneficiaries will try and con the system. It's a paranoia that they'll duplicate themselves and get multiple social grants. And even from the white paper on social welfare in 1997, you see this crop up. And in the recent parliamentary debates, this specter of fraud and these beneficiaries who are who are getting more than one grant, more than what they so-called deserve, um, comes up a lot. And so because of this, the solution is seen to be that we need a national register of social grant beneficiaries with that's linked to their digital fingerprints that can be searchable so that when somebody comes to enroll for a social grant, you can search their fingerprint against all the other fingerprints and make sure they're not already in the system. Okay, so I mean this this idea of 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 authentication either by a fingerprint or by the or by either means such as also voice recognition I think was a big one that came up that seemed to be a a big consideration when the when the tender was being put out as to who would be the the individual uh, organization that would that would run the the what shall we call it consolidated disbursement of grants around the country. Absolutely. And I do want to add that in practice, in South Africa particularly, this idea about beneficiaries conning the system has not actually been borne out. In fact, we have very little proof of it, despite a few high profile cases by the Hawks. Okay. Now, specifically, once we have um, this is now 2011, 2012, and we have the actual consolidation of this, and the and and you mentioned CPS is now the person who's elected to be the the, the disperser of this nationally. Um, what was the actually performance on this on this aspect of of, bio, of biometric authentication, either through voice or through a fingerprint system? Well, that's interesting. So when the tender goes out in 2011, let me just say there's two leading companies, CPS and Allpay. 
And both are experienced in paying social grants. As I said, they've done it in the provinces before. But what happened was that, and we know what happened because all pay challenged the tender in court. When CPS won the tender, they thought uh, there were some irregularities and they took this case all the way to the constitutional court. And um, what was decided was that eight days before the the bid documents were due, SASA moved the goalposts. So in the original tender, they wanted biometric verification. They said it was preferential that whoever was bidding have biometric verification. But in the eight days before, they changed that to mandatory. And so both companies, both CPS and AllPay, had biometric enrollment or biometric possibilities set up during the enrollment phase when beneficiaries were registering. But only CPS promised to provide monthly what they call proof of life so that the beneficiary is still who they say they are living. Um, and they, pr they promise to do this either th through fingerprints or voice verification. Now, to answer your question, what happened was um, actually they're not using the voice verification. So 60% of people are paid via the banks or at the grocery store. You know, you go with your debit card and you get your money. And ATMs in South Africa and merchants don't have fingerprint scanners. So CPS said what they would do was call all of these people and verify their voices each month. Well, if you talk to a CPS consultant in any SASA service point, they have a big metal box that has a computer and fingerprint scanner and a microphone. And actually, they don't use the microphones anymore. The software wasn't sophisticated enough to recognize the voices, to make those phone, phone calls, and to generate this proof of life in a satisfactory way. So essentially, they're doing exactly what Allpay had proposed, taking the fingerprints, and, and that's about it. Also, just to say, during the re-registration process where beneficiaries were re-enrolled between 2012 and 2013, um, 150,000 people did not re-enroll of 17 million. That's 1%. Uh, and they didn't enroll perhaps because the process was cumbersome and confusing, as SASA admitted. So the new biometric system that CPS created didn't actually catch anyone doing anything fraudulent. It just excluded potentially 150,000 people who were previously receiving grants. Okay. Now, one other thing that, that, that you've mentioned is that the is that they once this was consolidated, now there was a, a com, you know a pretty complete or pretty comprehensive national register of grant holders, and it included information like ID numbers. Uh, you've mentioned the fingerprints that, that had to be collected. Now, there's been some some questions around how CPS and its parent company Net One may be misusing this national register um, to sort of market and, and sell and sort of prey on these on, on, on these as I've already mentioned already marginalized members of you know of our societies. Could you speak more about that? Sure, absolutely. You know, it's in the very terms and conditions of the SASA card, and I'd like to read those to you. So when a beneficiary goes to enroll for their social grant, they consent to the following, um, and I quote, you consent to us to send marketing material from us, that's CPS, and our affiliates to you if you elected to receive the same during enrollment. 
And secondly, you consent to us to provide your personal information to third-party service providers, subsidiaries, and affiliates. And so by enrolling for a social grant, beneficiaries find themselves passively opted in to a situation where CPS, their parent company, NetOne, and all of the other companies NetOne owns, which include a loan company called Moneyline, an airtime and electricity service provider called uh, Umoyamanje, and a funeral life insurance company called SmartLife. So I've never met a beneficiary who has seen these TNCs, and I've hung out in a lot of service points and pay points, and I've never seen hard copies of the TNCs there in English or in any home language. And so even if every CPS consultant read this clause to the beneficiary in their home language, at that very moment, they're thinking about their social grant. They need to get this money. They'll consent to just about anything. And and this is not just a theoretical concern. I mean, in your in your research and you as you've accompanied beneficiaries to you know to get their grants, you're saying there's a lot of complaints and a lot of concerns around deductions that they're facing and they're finding that the grant they're supposed to receive is not is not what they're expecting. Absolutely. Um, you know, this works differently for different people, so it's hard to generalize. And the Black Sash has done great work documenting this through all of their partner offices around the country. But basically, you have these three linked bits of information, your cell phone number, your bank account details, and your biometric details. And so uh, what's happening is a company like Umoya Manje might send a free promotional airtime SMS. And by replying to that, without entering any other information, your bank account details, anything, just simply through the sharing of this information between companies, maybe monthly deductions start coming off your account when you thought you were just simply signing up for something free. Um, the Moneyline loans, you know, I've met people who have gone for a loan to Moneyline, but then that that loan becomes conditional on taking another product like an easy pay payment card or a smart life insurance policy. So, uh, Serge Bellamont, the CEO of NetOne, says that his products are incredibly popular. And perhaps that's true. Certainly there's been a big uptake, but he, the way these companies work is they bundle products. So if you're a person on a social grant and you really need a loan for Christmas to cover some expenses, you might then also get into another, you might also get another few products that you don't want or need. Um, and every month, then your receipts, which have timestamps on them, show how these things are deducted. So your money line loan, your smart life insurance, your airtime and electricity come off in the exact moment that your grant is paid. So that, that maybe 30%, 50%, even 100% of your grant disappears immediately. It's a brilliant business model. There's no risk of default because all of these products are linked to the payment of social grants, yet Moneyline still charges 30 to 40% service fees on its loans. And if you try and stop any of these things, it's nearly impossible. There's almost no customer service. And, and, what, and what are you seeing as, the, as sort of the real-world impact on this of somebody getting half, 20% of, of their grant that they're expecting at the end of the month? What are you, what are you, what are you seeing as the impact of, of, on this, on your beneficiaries? 
Well, you know, social grants have been studied extensively in South Africa and elsewhere. And in South Africa, there's really famous reports showing how with a child support grant, for instance, kids are taller, better educated, uh, have better nutrition. But all of these studies have been done prior to 2012 and the takeover, the new system, this new contract. And I think what we'll find is this data will change and it is changing. I met a woman last week in series, I'll call her Sophia, and she has three child support grants. She should get 1080 a month, and she uses that money mostly for childcare. And then she goes to work on the farms and earns another 735 a month. And she can get by with this. You know, the social grant actually enables her to have her job as well because the social grant covers care for her children. But between October and December last year, 2016, she got only about 30 or 50 rand of her grant every month. And so she had to beg some money from her cousin just to eat. And she got so little money or could mobilize so little money that she had to make a horrible choice that nobody should ever have to make. She could either feed her two older kids, an eight and a 13-year-old, or she could feed herself. And she chose her eight and 13-year-old. She didn't eat herself. She stopped producing milk. And so her baby dropped from 11.3 kilograms to 8.8 kilograms in three weeks. Her child lost 2.5 kilograms in three weeks' time. And when she was at the clinic, the sister threatened to call the social worker if this didn't if this didn't stop by the next appointment. And this is not negligence. This was a woman faced with an impossible choice because of this social grant system and the deductions coming off her account. Erin, I don't think there's much more to add on there. Um, thank you so much for the important work you're doing and for you know giving us a much needed context on this. Thanks a lot. Wonderful. Great to be here. Wonderful. Thank you. Now, no wonder just turning to you and I saw you sort of sort of nodding and agreeing as we were chatting to Aaron. Um, part of the context, and this is something that Aaron mentioned briefly, is is the is, is that the court stepped in when that when after the tender was awarded and when when Ope sort of objected to awarding of the tender. Could you just talk us through what the irregularities were with the tender award process? Okay, so there were essentially um, two irregularities with the tender. The first relates to the what um, your previous guest just spoke about, which is the changing of goalposts. Initially, biometric verification was a nice to have. It then became a a requirement. Um, so that was that was one concern. The third, the second, sorry, was that um, the evaluators of this particular tender had not assessed. Um, CPS's BE um, credentials. So this this uh, this tender was declared constitutionally invalid for those two reasons. Okay. So what was once this now ruling was made? What what was the obligation of the Ministry of Sasa? What did they then have to do now that this was ruling was made? Okay. So it's a bit of a complicated process. There okay. were three judgments in 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 total. The first was the one that I just spoke about, which essentially said that the tender that had been awarded to CPS was constitutionally invalid. That was in 2013. In 2014, the Constitutional Court handed down a judgment that related to remedy. Essentially, what it said is, this is what this is what we now have to do to fix um, to fix what's what's 
what's essentially a constitutionally invalid contract. Um, one of the things that had to be done was that the tender had to be um, re-advertised and had to be awarded to another institution. Um, another thing that had to be done is that um, C- uh, Sasa would have to report to the constitutional court on a quarterly basis on the extent to which it's complying with this particular order. And the third was that the the, the order of constitutional invalidity was suspended until tw- uh, 30, the 31st of March 2017, or well, until either was suspended until a new tender is awarded, mm. and if a new tender is not awarded until um, the 31st of March 2017, which is when the contract comes to an end. So that's essentially what's kind of put us in this place right now. Um, our our, our knowledge of, uh, previously was that this particular contract. Okay, so following the second following the second judgment, um, reports were made to the constitutional court on a quarterly basis as required. Eventually, um, in October 2015, Sasa reported to uh, Sasa. Um, sorry, in November, Sasa reported to the constitutional court mm. that they're actually not going to award the tender because there were no compliant. Um, proposals that were actually received. So they're going to continue their contract with CPS until the 31st of March 2017. Okay. okay, which was which is the deadline? That's the when. Yes. Okay. Yes. So this is when the contract is actually supposed to come to an end. Yeah. But what they also told the constitutional court is, following the thirty first of March, twenty seventeen, from the first of April, they are now going to insource the um, the distribution of social grants. Mm-hmm. So as opposed as opposed to having another contractor distribute social grants, they themselves, as Sasa, okay, will distribute the social grants. Okay. So the constitutional court then um, did away with its supervisory authority. It said you don't have to do um, progress reports any longer because this contract is going to come to an end on the 31st of March. On the 31st of March, the um, constitutional invalidity is also going to be reignited because it was suspended until then. Um, so that's what happened in, 20, in 2015. Um, then, okay, so I don't know if you want to know what happened following that. Um, the... The Department of Social Development did regular kind of, not regular, they did three reports to Parliament. The first was in November, the second was in, the, was on the 1st of February, and the third was on the 22nd of February. The one um, from the 30th of November indicated that they would still be in a position to insource um, okay. the, di- the distribution of, of social grants, even though a number of deliverables that were required had not actually been Met. Okay, so they were not on track when they were saying they, they were. They were absolutely okay. not on track. In fact, um, a, uh, an opinion was, um, was obtained from, um, from Trengrove, which we attached to our papers, uh, to Black Sash's application, that indicates that they would not be ready. Um, and then they appeared again on the first. They said at that point that they were going to um, actually cont- uh, put in place a new or, ex- or extend the existing contract with CPS. So what that means from a constitutional invalidity point of view is from the 1st of April, if this existing contract continues, it's constitutionally invalid. Yeah. So that's where we're at. Okay. That's where we are. I love the conclusion. It's like that's where we're at. Constitutional invalidity. Yeah, you know, just, you know, one of those things. Yeah. Now another thing that's playing out in 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 all the you know what we have is a legal framework, and Koketsu, you've been following this quite closely, is the is the sort of political relationships, um, specifically between Sasa, between the ministry, between the media. Now in a time where I suppose uh, Nomonde and her and her team have been watching to see, you know, are we on track? What have you been? What have you been been seeing as the 
as the sort of the, the, the political response and the and the and the and the political movements to try and to try and remedy the situation over the past couple of you know months even years I think it has been completely, completely shocking. The fact that this country has been distributing social grants for such a long time yeah. and is still outsourcing this function okay. should completely floor us all. And just a bit of context, Please. right? I think it's it was important for you to start the show with a historic background yeah. of social grants. There's a misconception that goes around as far as grants are concerned. You know, the idea of entitlement. Mm. Why should we be distributing? Mm. Mm. We are merely expanding a service that has always been existing yep. to people who were excluded. And this is so important. As your previous guest said, you know, we saw that social grounds were the biggest game changer as far as poverty was concerned in this country. Suddenly kids were being healthier, you know, and research has just found that yeah. it actually enables women to find work, as she spoke about as the child As opposed to saying they don't work, work because they know they've got yes. a great grant. Yeah. So we've had a lot of myths that have gone around, but actually yeah. it's been such a game changer. Right now in South Africa, 11% of women over the age of 60 are the main primary caregivers of their households. These women become... Like parents twice, right? Yeah. They're the parents of their unemployed children. They are the parents of their grandparents. Yeah. People make do with exceptionally little. But that that little is being preyed upon should just really completely frighten us all. So now, just what's been going on, we should be talking about the language that we've seen recently, right? The language of radical economic transformation has been appropriated by the ANC. But at the same time, here they are going with a company yeah. that has been authorizing unlawful, unauthorized deductions on grant pay, on grant beneficiaries, right? And is known for fronting. So for us, it raises so many questions. Why were they so determined to ensure that this, um, this company got the grant? But at the same time, there's been all this obfuscation that's been going on, right? The evading of questions mm -hmm. and, but last night was very interesting to hear our own president talk about how the minister should not answer questions because it feeds speculation. Actually, if we had answers, if we knew what was actually going on, we need to be taken into their confidence and be told that, guys, this is what is going to happen. This is the plan to ensure that this contract yeah. is not extended beyond this time. The fact that we find ourselves in a crisis, whereas we've been assured consistently that there's a plan that's coming up, is completely shocking. And that this is the response to it. It, it it's just, just shows weak leadership, shows a lot of flaws, but it also raises interesting questions, right? And then back on the biometric stuff, yeah. um, this is so important. We live in a day and age where personal data yeah. is so, so important. The fact that that was a clause on the card and the fact that subsidiaries have access to this and can make it accessible to others is completely shocking. This is information that should be confidential. We live in a day and age where your personal data is so, so important. May I just add something mm -hmm. to the deductions um, question? Um, in October uh, of last year, 
well, actually in June of last year, uh, Net One and its affiliated companies actually lodged an application against DSD and SASA. Mm-hmm. This was an application um, in response to SASA and DSD's attempt to stop the deductions from actually taking place from people's accounts. So in in, in May of last year, they published regula- regulations that essentially said you're not allowed to make deductions on people's social grants okay. accounts. Okay. In June, Net One and its affiliated companies, Smart Life and Bond and... Um, I don't remember the, the third information technologies. Okay. Um, uniform, like uh, at the same time, but in different cases, large cases against the DSD for uh, urgent intervention to to prevent that interpretation of social deductions mm-hmm. of of deductions from social grants. Following that, DSD then lodged a criminal case against Net One and its affiliates, saying that they're actually contravening the law. Um, and and um, that case was essentially the urgent was settled on the basis that, um, that Sasa and DSD would not follow through with the criminal case. But the case itself, the, the substance of the case was actually heard in October of 2015. So I do think it's a little bit more complicated than just a, a sort of corrupt relationship between the DSD and Sasa. I think on some level... The DSD is trying to kind of prevent deductions from taking place. Um, and there is pushback from the network affiliates um, on that particular endeavor. I'd also jump in here and say that when the government intervened, the department in particular, right, it was not an act of benevolence. Since 2012, Black Sash has actually been collecting evidence of deductions, right, and has consistently approached the deductions. What they found is that in 2012, deductions on grant recipients' um, accounts just drastically increased. And then they started collecting information via the helpline, via community advice offices, and via other partners, CBOs, where people were reporting this was going on. It took a huge push from Black Sash and its partner side to even get to a point where the Department of Social Development acted. So I think it's very, very important to note this, that it was actually external pressure Mm. that led us to that point. It was the department itself had resigned itself to the fact that this was going on. Our poorest were being fleeced. And Amanda, I just want to get clarity on the on the cases that you just mentioned. Um, so first was the was a was a motion to stop the deductions, and then there was a return sort of motion to say, no, that's a misinterpretation. And yeah. then there was a criminal, you know, motion put forward to say that no, this is criminal. And then, if I understand correctly, everybody agreed to stop well, what they were doing. No. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah. So, like you Not said, stop deducting, but to stop pursuing legal channels. Well, yeah. well, well at, uh, there was a settlement to yeah. stop pursuing the, the criminal charges, yeah. but the the substance of the case of what it means, what a deduction actually means, is still before the court. Okay. The hearing took place in October last year. Black Sash intervened in that particular case. Um, we were their representatives then as well, and it essentially asked the court to say that if indeed um, DSD and SAS's interpretation of deductions is incorrect, yeah. so if indeed deductions should be allowed onto social grants, then the then they should be mandated to create new regulations that adequately protect social grants mm. from deductions. So we're still waiting for judgment in that particular case, but it was heard in Pretoria um, in October last year. Okay, wonderful. <laughs> Okay, so something you mentioned, you know, uh, when you first started speaking was just the idea that it's, it's, dis- it's a disgrace, was disgraceful that this long into our provision of, of social grants that we still need to, to outsource. Um, it, it almost sounded like you were saying that 
given that this is being outsourced to, to you know to private companies, that suddenly we're leaving ourselves open to situations like this, where where private you know for profit making entities will naturally find opportunities to make more money as they deliver these services. Is that is that fair to say? Yes, so we must understand that a lot of corporates operating here are ruthlessly profit maximizing. Yeah. That is without a doubt a given. But also the service level, the service level agreement yeah. that was entered between SASA and CPS in 2012 was also quite dangerous, right? The clause that she was talking about and the fact that it saw it had an opportunity to um, give its subsidiaries, you know, some benefits. Mm. So number one is the issue of Profiteering from social grant recipients. That in itself is such a huge question. Number two, the fact that your subsidiaries are also default profiteers by having that information where people are coerced into joining something, you know, is also quite, quite like it's unthinkable as far as I'm concerned. Guaranteed profit making machine. Who is going to walk away from it? And that is why. Mm. Immediately, the same day that our minister could suddenly U-turn and tell us that, uh, you know, the there was no contract between mm. the two as yet, the CEO of that same company is able to confidently tell us that my company is getting it. You know, he's not going to let it go. It is a money-making machine. And clearly he knows more than, than we're being told. And from our own, from our own elected officials, we have a CEO of a company reporting to the stock exchange and investors much more than our ministers are telling the public. Exactly. And this is why Zuma's comments last night were so, so shocking, you know, because what he talks about is feeding the speculation is actually not. It's all this obfuscation coming from the state we trust and then getting another message from, you know, the company that's responsible for a lot of the problems we are facing telling us a different thing. That is what's fueling speculation, mm. you know. I want to be taken into the confidence of my state. That is the state that we all give up. Our taxes to, and they are fundamentally accountable to us versus Bellamont, who is accounting to shareholders and people who are profiteering. I mean, we saw at the prospect of this grant being renewed, right? The shares just went up, you know. After a time when it looked like the company was not going to get it, there was, you know, people were told, you know, it's better to sell your shares. And mm. then suddenly, wow. It's a cash cow. And just speaking of, of, of confidence of the state and them sort of reassuring us, there seems to be some really, really worrying things going on. I mean, we saw the director general, um, resign last, last, last week. You, you seem very sheepish about this. Why you? I would rather not comment on that. Okay. Um, I would love to hear your views. Okay. Sorry. If anyone's listening, there's a really odd mood in, in, in the studio. I, I think I said something <laughs> wrong. But I mean, I mean, Greg, you've been following this also. And we saw, you know, we saw the resignation and the minister not able to, to answer as, as to what's going on. And there's, at least for me, seems to be questions as to who, who's actually driving the renegotiation, who's deciding, because it seems like a lot more is, is going. To, I think to the minister herself. To be honest, I think all yeah. we have is questions yeah. in this case. Every we have so many contradictory yeah. comments from the department, the minister, um, and and at the end of the day, we're left with so little. But but this sort of ongoing, lingering suspicion that at each turn, despite these these different turns, our our elected officials keep on taking us on. This suspicion that seems to be keeping on being confirmed yeah. is that all we're going to have is an extension of this contract with, um, with, uh, cash paymaster services. Yeah. And, and 
that any discussion or proposals or, or, or potential plans to find find another solution to this issue mm. were never really factored in and were never really viable from the department's side or, or at least it seems like the minister's side because supposedly and we'll find out from Kukedza what what her reluctance is to talk about it after the show perhaps so so from but from what it seems like the the director general of of the department resigned after yeah. after clashing with the minister on finding the the different possible solutions to this issue yeah and that was supposed to be the person the accounting officer in charge of renegotiating and if that person is saying i i can't you know i can't work under these conditions but pretty much we have to wonder what those conditions are and, and he's basically said yeah. that I don't think he hasn't spilled the beans as to the details of exactly what happened yeah. but I think in time hopefully we'll find out more exactly as to to why there just seems this relentless push towards CPS and a just just so many lies and so many distortions that have surrounded it I think also yeah. just to add to that, right? Yeah. The issue of the U-turns, the fact that you have in the morning a department that is taking application to the Concord and then in the evening takes it back again, says there's no need to apply. We have seen, I mean, on multiple occasions, we have seen stories change in a single day. Mm. And that is actually what fuels speculation, you know? So for me, that yeah, that does not give me confidence. And right now, there are two sets of things going on. Yeah. We have the immediate crisis. People must get their money on their first, you know. But also, over and above that, we need the system that, you know, goes towards insourcing, goes towards protecting grantees. And even if this contract is entered to a new, you know, we need to ensure that grantees are protected, which Black Sash is also currently working on. Grantees' personal information is protected, that the system is sound and, you know, it's it's got it's a system of integrity basically so these are some of the more immediate medium term long term stuff and it was good to see okay not good because we don't know if it will be there'll be a u turn on it right <laughs> um but the department had released yeah. a three phase plan yeah. on to working towards insourcing and according to this three phase plan it's going to be you know the whole process is going to happen until in 2019 when they do it but again, we go back to why was this not done so long ago and what, 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 what. But it's good to see that we are seeing movements like, you know, Black Sash is making inroads on, you know, pushing for this to be a reality. Lamonde, I know you want to jump in on that. I, I, I must be honest, I'm a little shocked by the fact that they would like to insource by 2019 because their report says that they're going to issue a tender new. Um, following the CPS interim contract. Um, so, um, and this is the report that they've submitted to the Concord. So, so this is the thing about all the U-turns, right? Okay, so there's simultaneously two proposals. One story, One to insult yeah. by 2019. One story there. One to retend. This is the thing yeah. with the department. Yeah. This is what's fueling speculation. Yeah. This is what makes us unsure that... On the first, people will get their grants. On the first, irrespective of what happens, people will be protected. This is it. I'm just interested in, um, on, on both of your views, maybe, with the department, the minister, and SASA, of course, the organization itself, um, taking so long and apparently doing nothing on this issue when, when they had a timeline that they had to meet. It seems like no one really exactly understands why. Is it... Was it, were they indifferent to, to what they needed to do and just didn't really care? Do you think there's sort of a, a lot of people suggest that there's perhaps a corruption motive, that there seems to be a lot of speculation around that? Was it that they were incompetent? 
Do you want to go first, Koket? Okay. <laughs> I think that it was, um, there were multiple factors okay. at play, right? Um, as we can see within the department, there are senior officials who are defying the minister who have dis- disagreed with her for a long time, right? On the other hand, we have seen what is sheer incompetence. I mean, the minister herself said she only became aware of the scale of this crisis in October 2014. I'm sorry, you are the political head of a department and you only discover this five to a crisis striking. Meanwhile, we are given excuses of she was out campaigning for her party. She was out in the Women's League things. I'm sorry, that is not, that is beyond sheer incompetence. You know, that is a complete disregard, especially when you consider this is an issue that should be at the forefront of the ANC Women's League thought. Even politically, you know? if you're going to be purely political mastermind, this is, this is the thing you need to get right. I think this has just been handled yeah. so, but it, it's, it's a number of things, yeah. right? You know, there is the stuff around, you know, follow the money and all of this. Yeah. There is the issue of sheer incompetence and there is the issues around political mere political will, you know. And just again, the ANC has recently been adopting the talk of a caring government, Mm. but we are consistently seeing evidence to the contrary. And this is just one of those instances where they have shown us otherwise. Um, So I just wanted to tag on to what you were saying about um, about October uh, 2015 being the being the first point at which the minister knew what like the the scale of this was. Um, But there was actually an opinion that was done by by an advocate in in May of 2015. So um, five months before that, indicating to her that she should rush to the concourse. So that was almost 10 months ago um, now. Um, as to what the reasons are for this, I honestly can't speculate. Um, all I can say is uh, is what we've said in our papers, which is that there's been um, some misrepresentation um, to to Parliament and to various other stakeholders, and there's there's been a delay that um, can't be justified. I was just going to add quickly, yeah. it seems there's a lot of speculation about the corruption angle on this thing. And you yeah. talk about, I, I guess, either no one wants to sort of jump in and, and say something without evidence. But there was stories that I think it was maybe CPS's um, empowerment partner, a guy called Brian Masella or something like that, um, is close to the minister now. Is, is these things a concern? Do you, have you guys looked into those issues of potential um, conflict of interest from perhaps the minister's side or, or some other officials there? Once again, Koketsu's gone silent. We've got a weird... I think Koketsu is actually the corrupt individual in between all of this because she looks incredibly sheepish. But I think there's a lot of questions. I mean, Uchad, I know... Kings, did you just call one of our guests corrupt? <laughs> I'm listening. I know. Hey? Like, I, sorry, oh. Koketsu, I thought you'd call that one out for yourself. But, you know, we're not into slandering our own, slandering our own guests, are we? <laughs> Okay, let's just keep this as on with it. But I know what you mean, and and I think Oketsu alluded to this in the fact that when you have so little information, and and the information you have is so conflicting, um, we are forced are forced to grapple at straws. And one of the big things is saying, when we follow the money, why does it feel like there's an insistence that CPS must be the people, no matter what, as far back as the first tendering process? Why does it feel like these have to be the people? Why are we changing the the? Why are we just shifting goalposts around the tender? Why, when it's time to to do this and have time, and you know the March thirty first, you make sure that it's impossible to do anything else except continue with them. Hmm. So even in, and, and and I don't know the specific details that you referenced to. It's hard not to expect that there's another explanation as to why this has to be the service provider. I would actually say yeah. that even beyond the issues that are playing themselves out, right about. Um, 
the tender and the business side yeah. and the money. Yeah. We should also look at political reasons that are going on. You know, what, um, what is a pol- possible political motive, right? What are political incentives that Could are Could you there? please explain? Because for me, this is just politically terrible. Because your grant beneficiaries don't believe in you. Us who are following this here, we don't like you. This is like politically for me, this is a, it's, it's a complete shit show in the build up to 2019. So I'd love if you could give me some kind of incentives for why this would be a good situation. So I would agree with you, right? Yeah. About, you know, it is a shit show, but yeah. nevertheless, it would only be one if you actually cared about the people who were receiving, right? And throughout all of this, we have seen that those are the last people who no, matter. No, not about the people, right? about the votes. Yeah. Okay, you're getting there. So it's not not necessarily when I say political, I'm not necessarily referring to about you know getting votes or not getting votes. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm talking about possible inter-party clashes between people. You know, and how just anything in this country has been instrumentalized. It becomes a weapon for people to use, bash others on the head with. The fact that we are being held hostage. Is an interesting weapon or potential weapon at least. Namonda, before we sort of finish, why don't you just start taking us through what will happen from here? You're, you guys have a court date set for the 15th, I think, in your filing papers this week. Um, so we filed papers um, last week. Um, the any opposing parties, so we've cited the minister in her official capacity. We've cited the CEO of Sasa Sasa. We've also fight, cited the minister of finance and treasury and CPS and then the information regulator to speak to some of the issues around the protection of personal data. Um, the our, our application was filed on the same day that Sasa's initial application, which eventually was withdrawn, um, was filed. This was on the 28th of February. Um, the court had a directions last Friday saying that the matter is going to be heard on the 15th. Um, we uh, answering papers have to be in but, well, had to be in by 10 o'clock today. None have, uh, only one has been received by, um, by CPS. Um, and the, uh, our heads of arguments have to be in on Friday and the respondents on Monday. So I don't know. Hope to see you guys in court on Wednesday. And in terms of how this plays out, yeah. we'll, what, what is your view of how this is going to work? Will the constitutional courts, are they sort of bound to now, because they're being sort of held over a barrel of a gun to approve, um, the, the, the planned CPS deal? And how does that work with your own, your own case? Sadly, that's actually the prayer that we asked for. We said that, um, unfortunately, with the little time that there is between now and, um, when we launch the application and the 31st of March, that CPS is going to have to be the person with whom, um, SASA contracts for this. But we also, we also asked that the court, um, order that CPS act reasonably in its, um, in its uh, contracting with SASA. But we also ask that there be certain terms and conditions within the contract itself that actually protect social grant beneficiaries and their personal data. I should mention in addition that the Democratic Alliance has also applied to intervene as a party in this particular application and that uh, Freedom Under Law has done the same thing. The DA is asking for, while we've also asked for supervisory um, supervision over a period of time, the DA is asking the court to essentially Essentially, um, ask DSD why they shouldn't be held in contempt of courts for their failure to act. And freedom under law is essentially saying that um, CPS should not financially benefit from this extended contract, that their terms should be as they existed before. But like Gokyato and others have said, CPS um, and its uh, affiliate within the and its affiliate within the Net One Group are benefiting financially not only from the distribution of social grants mm. but also from the selling of of uh, financial services. So. Um, 
it's, I mean, we, we hope to see some kind of inroads into that by, by use of the personal data request. Okay, so if the Constitutional Court now approves this, essentially approves this contract and might put in a few different conditions in place, what's to stop how will we be certain that this situation will improve in the future, considering the, the Department of Social Development and SASA have in the past seemingly ignored what, what the highest court in the land says? So one of the prayers is also that they have to kind of report on a, on a, on a regular basis. So um, once they do those reports, um, we, I think, depending on what those reports say, would, would have the, the right to then respond to it and, and to assess whether or not they're actually meeting the, the milestones that they've set or that have been set by the court um, to ensure that insourcing does eventually happen, although at this point we're not sure when that's going to take place. And is CPS all also bound to this? So in theory, if if the court says you know we have to continue because of the you know the, just the, the time factor, however there are these conditions in what in in in, in profits and things like that. Is, is can CPS say say no and say no? We signed this like this, and if we can't profit and if we can't market, we don't want to be a part of this anymore. In my opinion, no, it cannot, okay. um, because the one of the first court cases in the all pay um, cases, uh, the court said that CPS is acting as an as an organ of the state okay. because it's performing a, a um, it's performing a state function. So, uh, in my view, if the court were to order that CPS has to enter into a contract and that these are the terms that those that contract should have, I believe that CPS would have to do so. Okay, so there's a legal framework where the court can say CPS because you're executing a state function in this way, yeah. when we say you do this, you it's have to do. It's a huge inroad into separation of powers, it would essentially be the courts, um, you know, kind of contracting on behalf of the executive. But that's the position we've been placed in by the executive. So, okay, yeah. okay, so uh, As we wrap up, is there anything else in the next sort of couple of weeks, while this continues to play out? Is there anything else that you're keeping an eye on that you think is, is worth noting? Yeah, I think it's it's all about supporting Black Sash in okay. this. Um, it's it's a huge, huge thing. A large number of our population depends on this grant as their sole source of livelihood. And at the same time, a lot of us personally, as black people in this country, yeah. we personally know people who receive social grants. You know, these are our grannies, our mothers, the kids with which we grow up. And some of us possibly were also recipients, you know. So I do think that as... A people, we should definitely, definitely be supporting those that are working to ensure that something better is granted for recipients. Wonderful. Thank you so much. Koketsa Moeti, Namonde Nyembe, Greg Nicholson, thank you so much for joining us. And of course, Erin Torkelson, sorry, who we spoke to on Skype a bit earlier. Um, thank you so much for helping break down the context around this issue. Um, often we see headlines, but it's, you know, it's hard to be like, what's going on? Where, where, what, what created this crisis that people are, are saying we're in? So we'll just continue to watch the courts, the political situation. And, you know, if, if all the sort of different parties you've spoken to on the show keep doing what they're doing, I think, you know, we might be able to get someone. For everybody tuning in, please remember, download and share the podcast far and wide. We'll see you next week, uh, 1 to 2 p.m., Tuesdays as usual. The Daily Maverick Show on cliffcentral.com. Cliffcentral.com.